Please join me uh, in your Bibles in Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. We went through the first part of this chapter last week, and really it's just of a, of a whole piece. We'll be focusing on the last part, uh, but really taking this all in together, Romans chapter 4. One of our missionaries, uh, Cody Burroughf, works with a Restoration Project. That's a ministry that is focused on helping men uh, grow as Christians, also as better husbands and fathers. And in their ministry newsletter last week, they were offering a, a resource titled 50 Essential Skills That Every Dad Should Teach His Kids. Now, with our oldest graduating this spring, heading off to college this fall, I'm pretty interested in this, and I'm also a little afraid uh, to know what I haven't done yet. So I'm looking through this list. Okay, how to, how to shake hands, make eye contact, and verbally greet an adult. Good. Got that one done. Uh, open a bank account. Learn about balances, debits, credits, etc. Yes. Well, actually, Katie did that one, but we, we got it. All right? Uh, list checked. Uh, Change a flat tire, including location of tools, spare, jack, etc. I've been meaning to do that one. It's been, I, I have been thinking about it. I just haven't done it yet. So uh, that's, that's there too. There are all kinds of uh, essential skills good to learn from your dad or your mom. And, and I don't know if it counts as a skill, but faith is certainly essential. It may seem less hands-on than changing a tire or managing your finances, but it is very practical for everyday life, and it matters for eternity. In Romans chapter 4, Paul presents a famous father as a model of faith. And for Jewish people, of course, Abraham is literally their forefather. The, the entire nation of Israel goes back to this one man and his wife. But as Paul has been saying, quite provocatively, uh, it's not just that Jews can look back to their father to learn about faith. Everyone else can too, including you and me. Uh, as I said, we're going to focus on the last half of the chapter this morning, but because it all holds together, I'm going to read the whole thing again for us. Uh, we need to, to hear the text that we looked at last week uh, to, to uh, hold it all together. Romans 4, beginning with verse 1. What then, shall we say, was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sins." Is this blessing then only for the circumcised, the Jews, or also for the uncircumcised, the Gentiles? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? 
It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but who also walk in the footsteps of faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null, and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, We're not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Does that sound good? Amen. This is God's word for us today, and the message this morning is simple. Maybe you've seen it already on the back of the worship folder here. It's up on the screen. Follow the faith of Abraham, believing in God who gives life to the dead. Pretty simple. Follow the faith of Abraham, believing in God who gives life to the dead. We're going to take this in four parts, starting and ending with these last few verses in the chapter. So this is part one, written for our sake. Look to Abraham's faith in God as an example to follow. That's that's just the starting point. And really, this is the the point of the whole chapter. It ends the same way that it began with a quotation from Genesis 15, 6. You can see there in verse 3, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. That is, he was justified. That is, Abraham received a righteous standing before God so that he will be justified rather than condemned at the final judgment. And all this is a gift from God to be received through faith in him. And then that that same quotation from Genesis comes back again in verse 23 and following, again at the end of the chapter, but the words, it was counted to him, that that key justification uh, idea, justification through faith, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us. We can be justified, those who believe in him who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Now, more, more to say about these last verses later at the end of the sermon, but, but get this. 
Genesis 15, 6 was written about Abraham, but it was written for you. Do you, do you believe that? I mean, isn't that, that's pretty amazing if you think about it. This, the, the words written in this book, and specifically the book of Genesis, written about Abraham, written for you. And now, you, of course, the, the story, you might say, well, of course, the story of Abraham was written, for, written down for future generations. That's like any history, any, any biography. Uh, but this is more than just preserving the past. As I get older, uh, I, I write more things down. Um, I've started keeping a journal, which sounds a lot more manly than a diary. Uh, I just, I mean, I, I'm not writing every day, and I'm not I'm not writing about my feelings. But you know, I'm, I just just when something happens that I want to be able to remember, like go, like when did when did we do that? Where where did wh- who were we with when we went to the thing? And the, like, oh, I want to go back and I'll, I'll read that. So, but I also besides the journal, I also have a to do list. That's where I write things down that I need to remember and act on. Hence the name. In one sense, the, the Bible is like a journal or a history book. It does record stuff that really happened. Uh, but if you read this only as a record of the past, you're missing the message that was written for you. Because especially when it comes to examples of faith, this is to be acted on by people like you in this room watching online right now, today. Today. Yes, I know that when Paul says this was written for our sake also, he meant himself and his readers in ancient Rome, the believers that were there in the first century A.D. I know, but remember, through this letter, he has been explaining the human condition. All people, Jews and Gentiles, will face a final judgment And because that day of final judgment is yet to come, still future, even from our vantage point, the message of salvation is just as relevant, just as urgent today for us. This message is for us. Genesis 15, 6, Romans 4, this book was written for you. All people need that same faith in God that Abraham had in order to be saved that's why when Moses put, the, put stylus to clay tablet or, I don't know, quill to papyrus, whatever he was using to write, he was writing Abraham's story for you and for me. The story of Abraham who lived some 2,000 years before Paul has now come also through Paul to us some 2,000 years after Paul. And, and here we are, not, not merely as the words of Moses or the words of Paul, but as the word of God. The Word of God for you and me. Now, if, if, this, was, if this was junk mail, you'd, you would throw it away without opening it. If it was a spam call, you wouldn't, you wouldn't take it. You'd, you'd swipe it. But if you knew this was a message from God for you, would you take it? Would you pay attention? Would you look closely? Would you, would you go over every line? That's what we're talking about here. Look to Abraham's faith as an example to follow. Let's, let's get into the real heart of the story here. The next two points in the sermon are really the two basic ingredients to that faith. And so here's part two, first basic ingredient to that faith. As good as dead, recognize that you are completely unable to create the life you long for. Now, if the way I worded it there 
the life that you long for. If that sounds a little too, you know, you're living your best life now, just hear me out. Uh, let's fill in a few more details from Abraham's story that we began last week. According to Genesis 12, Abraham was 75 years old when he moved to Canaan with his wife Sarah and his nephew Lot. He went there in view of the promise that God said he would bless him, he would make him the father of a great nation, that is, his family would grow and grow so that it would become a distinct people with their own homeland. And that's all great, except at that point, uh, Moses, or excuse me, Moses, Abraham didn't have any kids, and he doesn't own any land. Well, promises are great, but, you know, where's it at? And so Abraham is operating by faith in God that he would keep his word. We don't know how much time passes between the events of Genesis 12 and Genesis 15. Again, that's the verse that's quoted here. Uh, Genesis uh, 15, 6 is the first text that Paul quotes here in Romans 4, which we read last week. Remember the, to, to abbreviate the story, um, God says, I will bless you. Abraham says, I still don't have any kids. And God says, all right, go get up, go outside, look up at the stars. It's, it was nighttime. Look, look up at all the stars. See, if, can, can you count them? See if you can count. That's what your offspring is going to be like. And it says, and Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. It was believing God in that way for that promise. Now, that's Genesis 15, um, but Genesis 16 says Abraham is 85. And in chapter 17, he's 99. Still no child. Oh, you're like, oh, it's okay. Sarah's 10 years younger than 99. No offspring through Sarah, but God is still making promises in Genesis 17. I will make you, he, he's even upping. He, he's turning it up to 11. God, I will make you the father of many nations. And now listen again to Romans 4, 18 to 20. Just look there again. Romans 4, 18 in, in hope, Abraham believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so your, shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. Abraham believes the promise which is to say he believes that God will keep the promise. He believes God. And he believes God in spite of the fact that there is nothing that Abraham can do, nothing he can contribute to, in order to bring about his desired outcome, the life that he longs for, a, a son, a family, a descendants, a, the great nation, the, the, the homeland, the, the blessing. To be blunt, Abraham doesn't have it in him. He doesn't have it in him. He couldn't say to Sarah, Sarah, come on, you just need to believe in yourself. You can't, like Abraham, like Sarah, you and I, we can't bring life from the dead. We can't do it. I saw a video clip uh, from a, 
preacher this past week whom I would warn you against, except I'm not going to even use their name. Uh, they, they, and this was, the, this was the, the bad line. So God's not looking for perfection. He's looking for potential. That'll preach. God's not looking for perfection. Well, that's, I'm with you there. That's true. Paul says no one can justify themselves by works of the law. And a lot of us, right, we feel, we feel the pressure to measure up. So knowing that God's not looking for perfection, whew, that's a great relief. I, I, I'll, I'll go there. God's not looking for perfection. He's looking for potential. Ooh, that's, you know, that, that's appealing too. You know, I'd like to think that, that when God looks at me, what he's really looking for is, is my underappreciated genius. He's looking for my spark. He, he, he sees me as a diamond in the rough. I mean, if we could just kind of work off some of the rough edges, boy, oh, he's really going to shine. Everything I need is already in me. I just got to let it out. Folks, that's, you can get that on any talk show. You can get that on social media. That's not what's coming from the Bible. And so if that's what your preacher is saying, your, your influencer, that's just wrong. I mean, you, you, can, you, can, you can preach it and, and, and you can just like, whew, that's, man, that sounds good. And my, I mean, I can just see the ratings going up. The likes are right, right up. But it's wrong. See, if we're following Abraham, we must see that when it comes to our justification, when it comes to your salvation, God is not looking for your potential. He is looking for your faith in him, in his, if we can say, potency, his power. Not your possible power, your latent power that just needs a little a catalyzing from God to just spark something so that, no, not your power, that's just untapped, but his power and your utter dependence on him. A recognition of your own, under, your own utter inability to save yourself so that your salvation will completely depend on his power means it is salvation by grace. That's, what we, that's where we want to get to in this, right? That's where God is taking us. I have to confess, though, even, even as, a, as a Christian, as someone who says, I, I, I believe God, I'm trusting God, I'm, I, I want to rely on His grace alone, not, not what I do. Uh, maybe this is true for you, too. I mean, I, I'm trusting God for my eternal salvation and trying to do that for my everyday life. But, you know, as I pray, as I pray for, for my need, God, God provide our needs, and hopefully, you know, some of the wants to, you know, God, would you, would you do that? And, and, but then I, you know, I take some... I'm like, okay, is he really going to answer? Is he really going to come through? You know, we're kind of waiting here, and and then you you start then you start kind of hedging your your bets, so to speak. You're like, well, you know, um, I've got a steady job, and um, we're getting closer to paying off the mortgage, and uh, you know, the kids are getting pretty good grades, and we don't have any big health problems. I think it'll all work out, folks. That's not faith. That's, that's like a, that's some kind of combination of wishful thinking and playing the odds. But it's not faith in God. It's not how faith works in everyday life. And more importantly, it's not how faith works for your eternal salvation. You will not be justified by what you bring to the table, by what you can accomplish yourself. 
you will not be justified by what you do. How many ways does Paul have to say it? Like Abraham, like Sarah, you don't have it in you. You can only be justified, you can only gain a righteous standing before the judge when you look to God in complete dependence. That's faith. You have to admit that you are dead. I mean, not physically dead, of course. That's why the phrase here is Abraham was as good as dead. I mean, he's, he's, he's walking around, he's, he's, still, he's still eating, still breathing, brainwaves, but he's, but he's as good as dead when it comes to fathering a child. You and I are, you know, we're living, breathing, walking around. You got yourself in here today, but when it comes to spiritual things, when it comes to your salvation, you are as good as dead. Or Ephesians 2, Paul, again writing, says it even more bluntly. Ephesians 2, and you were dead in the trespasses of sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, but God, being rich in mercy, Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Do you see how how good and how freeing it is to admit you don't have it in you? No perfection, no potential to save yourself. Just a deep need that only God can meet because he is the life giver. He is the life giver. Now, let's read these, those verses we, we've been focused on here, verses 18 and 19, in their larger context. So we've, we've, we're, we're zooming out just a little bit. And now, now let me read verses 17 to 22. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom Abraham believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. This is part three. This is, this, this is the other ingredient to faith that goes right along with seeing yourself as good as dead. Here, life to the dead. Give glory to God, fully convinced that he is able to do what he promises. Abraham believed God was the giver of life, the giver of life where there was nothing, as seen in creation, the giver of life where there was only death, as in resurrection. And so Abraham's faith was grounded in that hope. Verse 18, in hope, he believed against hope. Now, that's an an odd, seemingly nonsensical phrase, uh, but that's the whole point. Now, you're still trying to figure it out. You're like, okay, but 
You know hope um, is, if you, if you understand hope in the Bible, it's not just about wishing. Well, I hope so. Not about wishing, but about expectation. And even more specifically, it's about a confident expectation in a positive outcome. That is biblical hope. So how can you have that kind of hope and no hope at the same time? Well, you've, you've heard a phrase like this in, in a commercial before, right? Expect the unexpected. And you didn't have to scratch your head or like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Well, no, in one sense it doesn't, but the whole paradox is the whole point. Like maybe you're, it's a commercial for a, a car dealer and he's saying, I, we know that when you, when you go shopping for a new car, you expect that uh, you're, the, the dealer is going to harass you and, 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 and it's going to be hard and you're going you're gonna to feel uncomfortable, but not with us. No, when you, you come to our dealership and, and we will treat you with respect and, and honesty and fairness, you, you can expect the unexpected. That's, that's really the, the, that's all that the puzzle is going on here. For, forget the car dealer part. I mean, you can understand this. Against all hope in himself, Abraham believed in hope in God. He hoped in God when he was hopeless himself. Why? Because God is the one who gives life to the dead, who calls into existence things that do not exist. I mean, that's somebody that can do something about anything, when, when you can't do anything. How, now you got to think about this. How would knowing this God change your reaction to your next crisis? Or the one that you're in right now? Say your cancer diagnosis or your retirement savings shrinking before, rapidly before your eyes as inflation goes crazy. But remembering Abraham, you think, I live in the presence of the one who gives life to the dead, who calls into existence things that do not exist. He, if I know Genesis 1, he said, let there be light. And there was light. Now, you, you and I cannot create by command. I cannot say, let there be. And there was. I can't do that. But God can. We, do, we simply do not have that kind of power nor the authority. When, when something, when someone dies, we can't bring them back. But against all hope in yourself, hope in God. Now, I have to be careful here. This is an important little caveat. We must not twist this truth about who God is. Take, take the truth and then twist that uh, in, so that, well, God can just, uh, like my personal genie in the bottle, he can just kind of conjure up anything that I imagine, you know, anything that I ask for. He'll just, he'll just make it appear. Think, think about this. Abraham had a promise from God that he would have a son. God has not promised that you would live a long life or have a comfortable retirement or that you would never have to bury those you love. And we're like, well, thanks a lot. No, no, wait, wait, no, listen. What has he promised us? What has, God's, what has God promised that you can take to the bank? Because he is the God who gives life to the dead and can call into existence things that do not exist. What are the kind of promises that he's given us? 
Things like, the meek shall inherit the earth. In due season, we shall reap if we do not give up. He will wipe away every tear from your eyes. The sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. The dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Take it to the bank. He's promised that to you, believer. When you stand by the casket at the graveside, do you sometimes waver in hope of seeing those believing loved ones again? He gives life to the dead. When you watch the the chaos in our world on the news, when you see our own culture turning hostile toward your faith, do you wonder if Christ's kingdom really is coming? Will he really be victorious? Will we reign with him? Even though we are called to do his work, we cannot make it happen. The God who called this world into existence out of nothingness can bring in that new world order under his perfect reign, and we will be blessed. We, we must see that we are as good as dead, but we can't focus on that. Let your weakness fuel your faith in the one who is strong, who is mighty, who ever lives. No unbelief made Abraham waver, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. But what about all the, what about all the ways Abraham seemed to waver? I mean, if you, if you really do read Genesis... In between those promises of Genesis 15 and 17 comes, I mean, no surprise, Genesis 16, uh, when Abraham and Sarah tried another way to fulfill God's promise uh, through the means of surrogacy of the day, Hagar. Or, or go back to Genesis 17 and 18 when, when Abraham laughed at the promise and then Sarah laughed at the promise. Are you kidding me? You might think that Paul, either Paul doesn't know Genesis very well uh, or he's just sort of cherry-picking and counting on the fact that his readers don't know Genesis very well and he's just kind of glossing over the episodes that don't fit his narrative. We might have the same concerns in, in reading Hebrews 11, that great faith chapter, the hall of fame of faith from the Old Testament. Like, wait a minute, do, really? Do, do Gideon and Samson and Jephthah belong in that list? <laughs> Read Judges. I mean, like, I don't know. The only way to explain this as a portrayal of faith is to modify that quote that I used before. Instead of, God's not looking for perfection, he's looking for potential. No, this, he's... He's not looking for perfection. He's looking for perseverance. For faith that falls down and gets up again. That's the unwavering faith. The faith that that even when, when we take our eyes off of Jesus and start to look at the wind and the waves like Peter and we start sinking and then we look back to Jesus, Lord, save me. 
that's what, that's what he's looking for. We have to admit that God is not glorified when we look to ourselves, when we're saying, you know, God, you don't look big enough to handle this one. But when we keep coming back to him, every time we're saying, God, no, it's, it's got to be you. It's got to be, I can't, I'm learning, I just keep learning again and again. It's, it, I, I can't do it. It's not me. I don't have it in me. It's got to be you. It's got to be who you are, who you are for me. And, and sometimes it seems that our faith is wavering, but it can't be about the weakness in us. It's got to be our weakness pushing us back to him. And when we're holding on to hope in him, when things look hopeless for us, that's when he turns the laughter of doubt into the laughter of joy. Keep reading Genesis. That's when we are justified by grace and through faith, and he gets the glory. That's the glory in the gospel. Now, one more brief point. And so we've kind of been zooming out, so we center back back a little bit more, but I won't read the whole thing. I'll just read the front and the back here. Let me read 13 through 16 and then 23, 25. So back to 13. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it I understand that to be the, the inheritance. That's why the inheritance depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Now, jump down to verse 23. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. This is bringing this all back again to us. So this is part four. All his offspring. Trust in God who keeps his promise through Jesus and our justification. So you, you, God fulfilled his promise to Abraham. I hope that's not a... you know. Spoiler for you. Um, you can read it about in Genesis, Genesis 21, um, or Hebrews 11. Just two verses from there. Hebrews 11, 11, and 12. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, Abraham, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Happy ending. But it's not the ending. It's not, it's not the ending if you only see uh, the promise fulfilled in Isaac or even beyond that in the 12 tribes of Israel living in Canaan, you're not hearing what Paul is saying in Romans and Galatians and Ephesians. Now, I want you to, I want you to hold on now because right now this is even more profound than that crazy idea that Genesis was written millennia ago for you and me today. So, are you holding on? Abraham's faith in God to keep his promise resulted in 
Abraham's justification, right? And God uses his example of faith to prompt our faith, our justification, which further fulfills the promise of giving Abraham more offspring. Like, were you, were you with me? I mean, this is, this is, it all circles around like some kind of, you know, time travel movie where a teenager from the 1980s goes back to the 1950s to help his, make sure his parents get together so that he can be born later on. If you can, now, take out the time travel part. Uh, well, take out a lot, but t- the, take out the time travel part. But let, Abraham, uh, the God that we're talking about here, is eternal and ever-present, who is unfailingly working out his purpose in his people. Let me see if I can do that again and see if you can follow this. Abraham's faith in God. God's, believing God to fulfill his promise to give him offspring. It was that faith that justified that became his justification. And the example of his faith is now, in, God is using it later, a little bit of time travel, late, he's using that later to draw other uh, people like us to faith that not only results in our justification like Abraham, but fulfills the original promise that Abraham had believed God for, that he would be the father of many nations. We who come to God by faith becomes Abraham's children, heirs of the promise, not, the promise being not simply Canaan, but Christ's global kingdom. And here's another way that the story sort of turns back on itself. More significant than Abraham's offspring, Isaac, uh, was his offspring, Jesus, who, unlike Isaac, was not almost sacrificed, see Genesis 22, Jesus died dead, dead. Not even, not as good as dead, dead. He died as a sacrifice for our sins so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be brought into the family. His death paid the penalty of sin so that we could be justified, so that we could be counted righteous. And his resurrection serves as an even greater testimony than Abraham's that God gives life to the dead. When, where? Easter Sunday. When he raised him from the dead, the resurrection of Jesus. So yes, the, God, the one who gives life to the dead is right there in the story of Abraham. But just as Abraham was given life to, for offspring, and that life, that faith resulted in justification, how much was more was Jesus given life for our justification? This, this passage doesn't tell you to believe in Jesus specifically, although that's appropriate. That's right and good. See, verse 24, it says, we who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord. So in that sense, you too are following the faith of Abraham in exactly the same way, trusting God to keep his promise, trusting the one who gives life to the dead, who calls into existence things that do not exist. Follow the faith of of Abraham believing the God who gives life to the dead because he can do that for you. And when you do, he will give you the life that you long for, not middle class, comfortable. The life that you long for. The life where every tear will be wiped away. 
every suffering now surpassed by glory. Life in his presence, unhindered, unending. He keeps his promise. He can and he will when you trust him. Let's pray. Oh, Father, I pray that we would humble ourselves today, that we would be, have the eyes to see all the ways that we are dead. Not, not in a way that, that makes us um, sort of hate ourselves because we're failures. Not, not, not that, just, just a, a humble acceptance that frees us to say, we can't do it. We can't. Followed by the joy that says, you can. Oh God, you can. And God, you will. You say you will. And we're believing you. We're believing you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his life, his death, his resurrected life that calls us to trust you and receive your grace. We pray this in his name. Amen.